people often forget the core of mental toughness is not discipline. The core of mental toughness is optimism. The hope that it's gonna get better. In a marathon, if you're discouraged, staying in it, being mentally tough means, I know it's gonna get better. Or I know there's purpose here, there's growth because of this. What's up Adidas runners and welcome to the first episode of the Ultra Boost, where we talk all things energy. I'm your host, Adidas Runners Ambassador and the founder of the Slow F Run Club, Martinez Evans. And with me today, I have sports psychologist and Adidas Runners coach, Mari Dachadas. If you feel like your energy has been lagging, well, this episode is for you. Mari and I will go over tips, tricks, and practical advice on how you can begin to restore your energy. Are you ready? Well, let's get into the show. What's up Adidas Runners, Martinez here, and I just wanted to add a little context to this episode if you're listening to this thing way, way, way in the future. This episode was recorded in 2020 during the worldwide pandemic, so you're going to hear a lot of references to COVID. Nevertheless, this episode is still a great episode and has a lot of value bombs here, but I just wanted to add that little context there for you. Either way, Enjoy the show. Mari, welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you for having me. For the listeners who may be unfamiliar with you, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? So my name is Mari or Mary, and I was born and raised in Berlin. I started out in a creative way by in doing creative writing and playing in the theater, directing theater. And I wanted to become a writer and theater director very early. And then kind of sport came into my life, especially running. And then I studied European anthropology, sports science and sports psychology. And now I'm a sports psychologist and a personal coach. And I empower people to change and perform, which means that I coach athletes um, on a high level and in a casual level. And I also guide people through change processes in their life. Oh my God. Like, so this is the perfect conversation as we're talking about energy, restoring your energy. We had a tough year in 2020. Like before we get into all of that, let's take it back. Let's take it way back. You know, can you tell us on how you first discovered running? Okay, so since you want to take it back, we're in the year 2009, and I am still in school. I'm doing my final exam in school. Um, in Germany, that's called Abitur. And I was in, I think it was biology class with a friend of mine. She was a runner. I didn't know about running yet. I knew running as a cool down and a warm up for gymnastics, which, I, which was the sport I was involved in. So I did gymnastics on horses. It's called vaulting, by the way. Um, so I mainly was standing on the back of a horse, raising little kids to do like gymnastic figures up there. And I ran from time to time, like a 5k with that friend. And on that, uh, in that biology class on Friday evening, she told me, well, there's a marathon on Sunday. Do you want to try it? So turns out it was the Berlin marathon. And I, <laughs> I have to say in retrospect with a disclaimer, I would never do that again because we were not signed in. <laughs> And so I, yeah, we started out somewhere in Berlin and we ran to some part on the course, which is like one kilometer from the start. And we jumped in there on the course and we just had 
an awesome time. We ran, we chatted the whole time. We looked at fun costumes and saw so many people from so many countries and were just overwhelmed from like the amount of people running there. I mean, it was thousands and thousands of people. And for me up to that point, running was not a sport. Like I knew running as a part of school and a part of like physical education class, but I didn't know it as like a sport that older adults would do and that they would do for fun and like with costumes. And so for me, that was like the first glimpse into this running world as a, as a popular sport. And that was like my personal running boom, so to speak. And we actually finished that marathon. We ran way over 43K on that day because from a certain point, like from 30K, it became a challenge because I didn't want to stop and she didn't want to stop, but we both were kind of tired. And then we would kind of push each other. So 1K, I would be tired and I'd put, and I wanted, would want to stop and she would push me. And then the next case, she would have a low and then I wish I would push her. So eventually we, we finished that day and the running fever didn't catch me right away. I was kind of, that was a cool experience, but I still carried on with gymnastics. And then during an exchange here in Bolivia, I discovered running again in the mountains at like 2,600 meters sea level, uh, over above sea level. And after that, I started running in 2016 competitively and got a coach, joined a running club and really, really fell in love with running as a competitive sport, which it is now. So the way that I started out in running was just fun and diversity and community and freedom and movement. And then 2016, it became also about ambition and seeing it as an expression of my fire and my passion for the sport. Let me tell you, this story right here, <laughs> if this does not give you goosebumps, you're not living, you're not alive, check your post. But like this, this is a, a very windy, windy, interesting story. Like your first race, you ran bandit, what we call in the U.S., like we call it when someone who jumps in the course but hasn't signed up, we call them bandits. Yeah, so you like yeah. Bandit Berlin Marathon? What? Okay, there's obviously a big disclaimer here, people. This is a definitely not don't try this at home thing because one, it's forbidden. You can get banned at races. They charge you thousands of euros or dollars when you do it in other races and you, you at some point get lifetime bans. So I wouldn't do this again, but at that point, I didn't know anything about running. I also didn't know that you had to train for it. And now I'm like in the business of training people for marathons. So now I also get money for that. So now I would do it a little bit differently. And I also actually did the next year. So 2010, I signed up properly for a half marathon and properly for a marathon. And I set out in the marathon, so Berlin Marathon one year later, 2010, I run more regularly, like four times or five times a week. And I was trying to do the time 3.45, so just below four hours. Again, had no idea, but thought I could do it and ended up running 3.29 because my watch just died at, right at the start and I just ran by feel. So I just didn't look at my watch anymore because it just died. It probably got confused because of all the other watches. That was when your watches still had that little foot pot on your shoe that kind of measured the, the pace by your steps. And it kind of got confused because there were so many watches around with foot pots. So 
yeah, so I actually ran by feel and I was scheduled to meet my parents three times at the course because it was my hometown marathon and my parents were there every time I ran it. And they didn't catch me even once because I was way too fast, way ahead of time that we had scheduled. And when I crossed the finish line, like I was in absolute disbelief because I, yeah, I like for me, that was not a time I didn't have a reference yet back then. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. You were beasting it. <laughs> That's what's up, Mari. Like, let's talk about when you started getting serious about running. So, you know, you said you hired a coach, start like training competitively. What made you switch from just having fun with running, especially when you was doing gymnastics, to like being like, okay, I want to do this more competitively now? I think there are two aspects to it. One is that I've been very competitive in many aspects of my life. So I was like the competitive student wanting to be uh, a straight A student. Um, I was also competitive in my vaulting. So this gymnastics on on horseback, but um, I never had the the right club and the right team and the right horses to actually show what I had worked for and practice. And with running, I just found the more I got into it, I just found the beauty of putting the work in and most of the time getting the work out. So I loved the effort of it. I loved laying after a hard tempo session on the track being totally empty. And in that emptiness, there would be so much Piece. Like sometimes I laid on the track and in that emptiness, in that I have no more to give, I give everything that I have, almost the peace of the whole world would fit into my body. And I just felt so peaceful and so happy to be alive and to feel my body in that way. So naturally, I loved the different trainings that running would offer. So hill sprints and hill runs and long runs and sprints and running technique and then I'm a nerd so I got like super nerdy about technique and training plans so I started studying sports science and then eventually the second thing that really then got me to join a coach was that I worked at a running store um, I think two or three years after I ran that first marathon out of a dare and that a colleague in that running store looked at me and my body still looked really much more like that of a gymnast than that of a runner. I had like broad shoulders and I was muscular. I definitely looked athletic, but it didn't look like a marathon top finisher. You know, those this typical image that you associate with runners in the front lines of a marathon. And he looked at me and he then later said to a colleague that, with that body, I would never break three hours in the marathon. And that colleague then later told me what the other one had said about me. And that kind of ignited the fire of like, well, I mean, it's just 29 minutes faster. I have a, I have barely trained for that one. Like, I'm going to prove him wrong. And that was also uh, a message I got from a lot of people in the running community. Like, sorry, you don't belong to us. I mean... You're probably a runner, but like you're not a definitely not a fast runner because you don't look like a fast runner. And for a lot of years, it's not like that anymore. But for a lot of years, the motivation behind running was proving them wrong and showing them that I have this passion for that sport that I found really late in my life for a reason. And that having passion for something is also 
big part of talent, even though from a scientific standpoint or from a typical societal standpoint, we don't define it that way. But for me, passion is a big, big part of talent for something. Yes. There are so many bombs, like value bombs and jewels you're dropping here. The first thing I wrote down listening to this, to listening to your answer is that the thing that excites me most about anything competitive is the fact that someone's training their hardest to become like the quote unquote their best selves, right? Regardless if it's running, football, basketball, or like any type of sport, I can even say chess or checkers, right? If they are playing competitively, I really just like to get into the in inside the mind of someone who's doing this competitively to say like, I am the best in this thing. Also, something I also noticed that our stories kind of intertwine for lack of a better word. So like I too started running based off someone telling me like, you'll never be a runner. Like you're too fat to run. You're useless. You'll die trying to run a marathon. Right. Before I even got into running, you know, I played American football and, you know, I did it in high school and I did it in collegiately as well. So in college and um, afterwards, like after I graduated and like, I know I wasn't going pro, but I still had that competitive drive of doing something anything competitive, right? And I think the notion of like the doctor telling me, hey, you're fat, you know, you're going to die. And that's the most stupidest thing I ever heard in my life. That switch flipped for me. And I was like, oh, I'm going to do this. And this is on and popping. So the notion of using what naysayers say about you as like that fuel and fire to keep going Like that makes you more of an athlete, you know, than just not doing anything at all. And I think that also makes you as much as an athlete as professional, you know, runners or just professional athletes in general. Right. Because they are going through adversity as well, you know, and of course, like they're competing at the highest level, but you are still competing as well mm -hmm. at your own highest level. And I think if individuals just look at that in, in that sense, like we wouldn't have this, you know, you'll never be a three hour marathoner, a sub three marathoner. Or for me, like you'll never run a marathon weighing over 300 pounds, which I've done eight times since that doctor told me I was fat, stupid and was going to die. That's crazy. That's <laughs> awesome. I mean, people can see it right now, but, you know, I'm smiling Ear to ear here because I can so much relate to your story. And can I ask you a question? Yeah. How do you think about that person or those people right now who told you you're too fat to run? Truthfully, I don't even think about them now. <laughs> <laughs> See, and that's, but that's the beauty because it can be a motivator to start from the beginning, but then eventually you start to love that activity and starts to give you something and starts to fulfill you. And then it becomes the, this natural process of falling in love with something because it can't be all the time and all the way about proving other people wrong. It also has to be about the activity itself. It's a, it might be a good starting point, but then eventually it has to also come out of a natural place from passion and enjoying this or 
what that thing gives you. You know, some people might not enjoy running in itself so much, but they enjoy the benefits, like the physical feeling gives me, the feeling it gives me after uh, I run or connecting with nature or whatever, you know? So it can't be all about them, but if they motivate you to get into it, then use it. Yeah. And this is the thing, right? Mm-hmm. But I'm a coach, you know, and I coach, you know, the back of the pack. Individuals who are like non-traditional runners who want to start running but don't know uh, either A, you know, they feel embarrassed to talk to their other running friends because they're faster than them and and they feel like their advice is practically useless. But also they're afraid to even call themselves runners from the jump, right? And like my method of training them is like intervals, run, walk, and things of that sort. But I'm always telling them butterflies or bubble guts is only going to get you so far. <laughs> so like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and that's that feeling of like, oh my God, like I need to do something, whether it's butterflies, like, oh my God, I'm running for the first time or bubble guts of Martinez, you're too fat to run. And me being like, nah, I'm going to prove you wrong and I'm going to start running for the first week. It's it's amazing because like we we are in the high of running, we romanticize running, but I, that was in 2012 for me when I when I met that doctor. So from 2012 to 2021, there's a lot of years that I I even haven't even seen that doctor. I've he's never even been in my lexicon anymore unless people um, bring the story up. But there's still some type of motivation and drive to get me from that butterfly or bubblegut situation where the doctor's like, you can't do this. You will die. Me being like, oh, I'm going to prove you wrong. I do the thing and then keep it going for nine plus years. Wow. Congrats to that. And congrats for staying in it. And giving running a chance to be a part of your life because in the beginning it must have sucked really much. Oh my God. It was horrible. My first run, 15 seconds. I didn't know what I was doing though. Like I didn't know anything about running. I was a football player. So everything we did with running uh, when it came to football practice had to do with mm-hmm. 100 yards. We're running. We never ran around the track. We always ran up and down the field, 100 yards, 200 yards. Or the coach would be like, all right, for for a warm-up, I want y'all to give me 2,100 yards. And at that part, like, we're just sprinting. Like, we're just going back and forth. So there wasn't no technique involved in that. Mm -hmm. Whereas, you know, the first day I went running, I got on the treadmill. I turned it to seven and thought I was just going to go out there and just run this marathon. (laughs) <laughs> and I failed miserably because I only ran 15 seconds. <laughs> Beauty of a beginner's mind. <laughs> it, it, yes, because you're fearless. But let's let's talk about that. Let's talk about coaching. So, you know, you got a coach. You started running competitively. Like, when did you switch to, like, I want to start coaching? I always had this natural drive to want to empower people and to give back in an activity that I really loved or a community that I really liked. So I also felt running has already given me so much. I want to already give back to running or I want to help people find a place for running in their life where it fits. And that was at the core of my coaching philosophy. I don't have, it's not my place to tell what place 
running has to have in somebody's life. That's for them to decide. And it doesn't even have to be running. I just challenge people to try it out, to really try it out for a couple of months. And if it doesn't give them anything and they want to dance or want to do CrossFit or they want to swim or to bike, then I'm super happy about that. But I'm super convinced that running can be a great activity in everybody's life. And it's for them to decide which place. And I am only there to give them the best chance to fall in love with running by giving them the best training plan, by educating them about different running methods, about nutrition, about mindset, about recovery, about proper gear. So I just wanted to give them and the sport the best chance to fall in love with each other. And then it's for them to decide. And I've seen very great examples on both ends of the scale. So some people ran a great marathon and then said, well, actually running's boring for me. I love cycling more or I like doing all kinds of sports more than just running. And some people had a hard first marathon and said, I'm never going to do it again. And they came back to it over and over again. So I've seen it all. And I just love to see, um, to witness that journey and to see how people put some grit in it and then find out um, how their relationship to the sport changes. Nice. So, you know, we're going through, I think, one of the toughest seasons that I've ever been through. Like, how do you help someone enhance their potential, even in the the midst of this difficult season that we have? Wow, there's so many challenges to this year, to COVID, um, and not to mention the the challenges of, of the medical perspective. I think the hardest challenge for us is shying away from human contact. I mean, as human beings, we are wired for connection. A lot of the things that we do, a lot of behaviors that are ingrained in us are longing for connection and are there to build connection. And now during this pandemic, we can't meet in big groups, we can't hug, we can't love and sing with each other because of this virus. So a lot of our motivation and a lot of our joy is created through connection. So what I've seen through this year is in our conversation now, it's athletes find other ways to create connection through social media, through all these platforms that you can use for online connection. They find connection and motivation through challenges, through setting goals for themselves, um, through motivating each other to find purpose in this time. I feel strongly that we have to figure out what purpose this time can give us and that is super individual and it can go many ways and what I've seen through this pandemic was that there was a lot of judgment in the beginning what you should do with your time and now you have to be really productive and then there was so many people reminding themselves and other people hey you don't have to be productive but I think for some people they want to be productive with this time and for some people they really need rest And for my athletes, that was also the point. Some people really took a down year and they had some surgeries. They even took a year off because for them it meant also prolonging their career maybe. And the answers are individual. As long as you reflect on that and you give yourself an answer that fills you with a feeling of purpose and sense. How would you recommend, you know, not only for me, but for other individuals, who like felt like their energy storage has just been drained because of COVID and hasn't really been able to like get into a groove or like find that spark to get back active into sport. I would say 
take the time that you need to restore the energy and reflect what are the buttons for yourself that reset you. Take, for instance, caffeine. For many people, caffeine is an easy button. You get immediate energy, you get a high but you will eventually get that low and you have a met metabolic cost to it. So you have that adrenaline rise, but then eventually your adrenaline has to come down and you are lower than you were off in the beginning. Reset buttons, on the other hand, are things that naturally over time fill you up with energy. They probably take longer. They're probably not ex as exciting as caffeine, but they fill you up in a sustainable way. And the answer to that is really individual. So for my reset buttons to really reset me and fill me up with energy again is taking a walk in nature, doing meditation exercises, breathing, reading a good book, not like consuming on the internet or consuming social media, but reading a good book, um, sleeping, resting, um, running slowly. That's a big one because running very fast is my is my one of my easy buttons because I can distract myself from everything. I just run as fast as I can, but it will leave me drained. So if I'm actually trying to restore my energy in a sustainable way, if I'm running slow, that's a lot easier for me. So I would challenge people, if you want to sustainably restore your energy and not get a quick energy surge, then figure out what your easy buttons are and figure out what your reset buttons are. Write them down and then choose the reset buttons, mainly. Mm. Adidas runners, <laughs> choose the reset button. So like, how has COVID affected you? Has it affected you in, in a positive way or a negative way? And how have you bounced back from that? <sighs> That's a loaded question. Um, <laughs> yeah, because I feel like this year has given all of us a lot in many, many different ways and in many ambiguous ways. So for me, in the beginning, I struggled with having very mixed emotions. So I found a lot of purpose through COVID and then there was a lot of pain through COVID. And I really struggled with both being there really intensely at the same time. And I think that that's what COVID has done to a lot of us. So for me, the pain came from I had started working with a different coach beginning this year. COVID just popped my little happy running bubble. And I had focused the last probably three or four years really intensely on running and sports science. So my academic career and my sports. And I didn't really look so much side to side. I didn't spend so much with my friends. And I didn't care so much about like bigger topics of like society and politics and environment and so on. So this year, due to COVID, I really felt like just focusing more and more on my running was very egoistic and selfish. And I started being very interested in other topics. I think that came naturally also to a lot of people because COVID kind of expanded your reality. It forced you to get out of your comfort um, daily life rhythm. And it kind of made you look side to side and more around. And so I started being interested in other topics like politics and climate crisis. You know, as I talked about selfishly, like running, traveling around the world and running races was like 2020, I'm going to do that, right? But I think mm -hmm. also for me, looking for the community inside of, you know, the Slow F Run Club, which is my uh, run club that I created for the back of the pack, right? And seeing how 
those members was hurting as well and really say, all right, like I need to not focus on myself, but focus on this community of individuals who also look towards me for guidance, support, motivation, education, and be able to provide them with something, anything, like any type of hope to get going, right? And I think mm-hmm. one of the ways that we did that, A, with, you know, we did weekly challenges. Uh, we, you know, we hosted three virtual races, you know, with our, our total mascot as the as the, the medal. And we, we really just had like these real interesting and deep nuanced conversations about running, about privilege, about racism and everything that accomplished this year, right? For me, when I seen Amal Arbery get killed as a black man and as a black man who's a runner, it broke me. And I was like, I don't know if I can do this anymore. And then, you know, my wife was like, I don't know, you should even run in this area anymore, right? Staying in a predominantly white neighborhood and I'm one of the only black faces there. So it, it has been one of the hardest things during this year, but also, you know, to hear from my members to say, Martinez, like, you saved my running career by keeping things interesting, by keeping things light, by having these deep conversations. You helped save my running career because I thought I was mm-hmm. done. That's beautiful. Thank you. Let's get into like some tips and tricks, right? Because, you know, you are a sports psychologist and I feel mm-hmm. like I should use this session to get some free sports psychology. <laughs> yeah, go pick pick my brain. I'm here for that. Totally here for that. I think about not only myself, but other people who's been in the situation, but I'll share my example. So like my first marathon, like I trained for this thing for 18 months and it was the only thing that I breathed, thought about, drunk about. That first marathon was the only thing that my life was for those 18 months. I run the marathon. I do pretty good. Like from our first marathon, uh, exceeded my goals, crossed the finish line. And as I'm driving back home, I'm like, I don't know if I want to run anymore. I think I'm done. And then I get really, really sad, like so sad that this race is over. How would you help someone in that situation? The thing is only um, take your time to grieve in your goal, your purpose, that you achieved that, but then had to let that go and then find a new one. And there is also a lot of beauty in that pain because it shows you if you would were to get over it like that, then it wasn't important. But if it was really important, that pain that comes after, it's just a little bit of that important feeling that you still had concerning that goal. And then take your time and set a new goal, whatever that means for you. I just want to say we're all human beings. We go through the same experiences. The question is, have you been there often enough to know that you will get through it. And for many successful athletes, that's the case. They've just fallen so many times that they know how to get themselves back up. Yeah. Yeah. And it is lonely out there. Like, have you ever tried to run a six hour, 20 miler and just be out there and don't know what you're going to do for six hours? Oh my God. So (laughs) much respect for you. I have no idea what you're going to do with yourself during that run. Wow. Mari, sometimes I'm out there so long training that my phone die. 
Like I run out of music so much so that like I've trained myself to run the first two hours of say a 20 miler with no music. Like and with my phone off just so I can save it for the last four hours. Yeah, I've done that too. I've also used music as a reward during a run. Like if I run the first hour at that time or if I just run the first hour, I, I get to have music. I have used the, you can go to the bathroom excuse as a motivation. You know, I had to pee, but like, no, I'm going to run like five more miles and then I get to pee <laughs> because I didn't want to stop. You know, so use whatever you have. If mm -hmm. something's bothering you, like a strap, like a top or for us girls, ladies, a sports bra maybe or something, uh, if that bothers you, stay in it for like two to three more K. Just stay in it. Just stay in it. And then if you're tired enough of it you can change it but stay in that like embrace the suck for a while embrace mm. the suck adidas runners embrace that suck feel it okay and when you're talking about bracing this suck, like what is one tip you would recommend to someone um to one of our listeners out there who like want to start into distance running but you know they feel inadequate i would say one you are Never inadequate to start running because your body, from a scientific perspective, literally was made for long distance running. Second thing I would say is um, list the people that are important to you. Take in one inch by one inch paper and write down the names of the people who are truly important to you, who embrace you if you are making mistakes or if you're succeeding, who embrace you in the through the good or the bad, who also tell you if you do something wrong. Those people that you really, really love and that you want to have in your life, those are the people that you should listen to in whatever moment. And you have to consider their opinions. You don't have to follow them, but really consider them. And for the rest of the people, listen to them. Take their comment And then think, is this really something that it's about me? Is this really something that's going to help me? And if not, let it go. It's more about them than about you, oftentimes. Um, so be very careful who you take comments from and who is allowed to say something about your journey because it's not theirs, it's yours. And for the third part, stay in it for as long as you can and then decide. So I see many people who start running and then after a few weeks say, running is not for me. I just, I just, I can feel it. It's just not for me. And to those people, I can say it takes not only 30 days to build a habit and it takes a lot of time to enjoy running. So to come to the point where running becomes an intrinsic joy, a joy that comes from within where your body and your mind Enjoy running to a point where you need it. That can take time. It can take also three months. So it comes in really handy if you set a goal, a realistic goal. So for some people that might be more a 5K than a 10K. And for some people it might be 30 minutes of continuous running rather than a 5K. But if you set that and you give yourself like three months to train for that, for that first realistic goal, then you have a goal in mind, you have a direction you have some commitment there through the goal, then take people along on your journey, that's your tribe, and then commit to it. And after three months, of course you can say, well, I tried it, it's just not for me. And then you can stop, totally fine, but then you've tried it. And for many people, running still stays somehow in their life. If that's every week, if that's a couple times a week, 
if that's just occasionally with friends, it's mostly still as part of their life. And it often is more part than their life that it was before, before they challenge themselves. I think that's one of the things that I'm always telling my clients that going through the struggle, that doesn't make you any less of an athlete. It makes you more of an athlete to stay in that struggle and to go through it and go through the fires of struggling to make it to the other end. And you feel so much better and so proud about yourself that you was like, ah, I didn't think I can do it, but I stuck with it. It was crappy. And look at me on the other side. Like that is an amazing feeling. By the way, because I didn't start out running some 20 years ago, when I was a young adult or a child, I went through that whole first tempo training, it sucks so much process when I was an adult where I had experienced a lot of types of sport. And when I did my first couple of tempo trainings, it sucked so much. And I, when I then joined an ambitious running group, I always thought for the for the first couple of months and even for the first year, I thought it was so hard for me because I was bad at it. Because I just wasn't a runner and because it was just harder for me because I was just not made for it or I was just not born for it. And then eventually, because I trained more and more with them, I noticed that it's hard because you're extending your comfort zone, you're pushing your limits and you're growing. That's the growing pain and that it has to be hard. And that's because it's right. And that was a big game changer for me because eventually I then became the runner who told themselves at the end of a workout where you're hurting really bad, it's like the second to last rep or the second to last kilometer, that like really devious second to last thing in running where you're mm -hmm. hurting really bad and it's really tough, but it's not the end yet. Um, I became the runner who told themselves, this is what I'm here for. This is exactly what I'm here for, this point. And it's not beautiful. You're not enjoying it amazingly, but this is the part where you're here for. Listeners, Adidas runners, are you listening to this? <laughs> this can translate so much to life as well as like what we're going through right now. Life is yes. a marathon, right? We're going to have those periods where we feel energized and We, we feel like we can just go forever. And there's going to be times where it's like we hit the wall and we feel like we like our, our legs are just stuck in peanut butter and mud and we just <laughs> get anywhere and we just want to quit. But what you have to realize is that there is another wave of happiness and joy and coming. So for those of you who are, you know, feeling like, that your energy is drained for this year COVID, know that this time too will pass and we will be able to work through it, get through the struggle and make it to the other side. And we're going to feel so much proud about ourselves that we made it there. Mm -hmm. 100%. So with that said, like, you know, you're a coach, you also a sports psychologist. Like, would you say that training your mind is similar to training the body? Yeah, that's one thing. Thank you for pointing that out, because that's one misconception that 
sports psychology and mindset training often faces that it's totally different from physical training. And it's really not. It's really, really not. Because your brain essentially works like your body. It creates new connections. It adapts. It um, adapts to the reality and to the challenges that you give it. So if you challenge your brain, it will adapt like your body. And so mindset training works essentially the same like physical training but with physical training we can see it we can see muscles grow we can see miles accumulate on our watches we can uh, we can feel how our breathing gets more efficient how our body gets more efficient with our brain that's kind of a little bit harder to feel or to see that's why we assume it's more difficult when it's not so with mindset training same thing or with sports psychology same thing like with physical training you have to um, slowly introduces into your training. So I actually schedule my mindset training like my running training. I put it in my training log so I don't forget it because like all other athletes, I get lazy with the stuff that is not running, you know, with stretching and stability and mindset. It's same thing. I'm a sports psychologist, but still for me, it's hard to sit down to meditate for 10 minutes. And so I schedule it in my training log and I check it off like I would my running miles. And it's the same thing with physical training. You schedule it and you give yourself rest in between. You up the challenge, you give yourself rest, and then you adapt. So as an example, I think 10-minute meditation in a day is a good way to start with mindset practice. So that's a daily practice. And then when you get used to that, you can maybe add to those 10 minutes a five-minute visualization. So write down your script Maybe you have a race upcoming that's the easiest. And it's, by the way, a great way to stay motivated for your race when it's still a long time to go because we all don't know when races are going to be again. So for all of you who don't know when the next race is, amazing. Let's create that race visualization. So pick the race that you want to run in a couple of years or in the end of next year, hopefully. And then write down a beautiful beautiful, beautiful movie about that race finish. And then let's create, recreate that memory in your mind with all the senses, with all the emotions, with all the colors, and then go through that. And then you have 15 minutes per day. And if then you fare well with that for a couple of weeks and you want to up that, create, uh, you take one run per week, for instance, where you don't run with music you don't run with a running partner, you're just with yourself and you try to focus on a certain thing at a certain time. So just be in the moment. And once you see your thoughts are going away, for instance, then take them back gently like you would like a dog that you actually love, not a dog that is annoying you, but a, a dog that you love, you just gently whistle them back and then you focus on another thing. That can be a thought, that can be a breath, that can be a step, that can be a part in your body that feels really well or a part in your body that feels really bad. Um, noticing everything and then just being really, really in that moment with that sensation and doing that one run per week. And then those are just examples. There are so many ways to practice mindfulness training and mindset training and to integrate it in your week. Um, it might also be a, a training log. So I keep a training log and I keep like a daily log where I just log three things that I'm grateful for. I write down um, important training sessions and I reflect on my week. All of that is mindset training. It's really not 
super special and super fancy. It's not rocket science. It's just efficient ways to deal with what's going on in your head. Mm. And would you say like that's the same process you would take for someone to like help build mental toughness or like grit? So what a lot of people and a lot of my athletes that I coached throughout this year, and I heard that from a lot of my colleagues as well, was this thought of, I just have to get through it. Discipline. Let's put our heads down and just work. That's true because you can't go on discipline alone. In grit and in mental toughness, there's a part that we often forget, and that's the passion part, the part of optimism, of hope, of intrinsic motivation. And grit has two parts. It's passion and perseverance. So you need joy and discipline for it to work. So if you're very disciplined in something that you don't love, it's not going to be sustainable and it's not going to make you happy. Same thing goes for your life. If you're very disciplined in a life that you don't love, what are you doing there? And also in an activity, if you're very disciplined in an activity that you don't love, what are you doing there? You have to stay in it for a long time, but then if you notice you don't love it, just, you know, there's no point there. Mm. And same thing with mental toughness that you touched on. People often forget that the core of mental toughness is not discipline. The core of mental toughness is optimism, the hope that it's going to get better. In a marathon, if you're discouraged, Staying in it, being mentally tough means I know it's going to get better. Or I know there's purpose here. There's growth because of this. There is a, there's a sense for me. Even if like I ran, the, so my fastest marathon was in 2016. Sorry, short, like <laughs> short setback here uh, or throwback. 2016 was my fastest marathon. Um, I ran a 3.11, which still stands to this day, even though I was in shape of breaking three many, many times since then, but I didn't do it. And 3.11 was still my fastest time, 2016. And I got the worst cramps, like uh, stomach cramps of my life at mile, I don't know, like 15 or something. And I suffered throughout the end. And at a certain point, I knew that it was not going to get better, but I stayed in it because I knew there was some sense and some purpose to still finishing. And there was still hope that that finish, even though it was going to be tough and it wasn't going to be the time that I set out to do, was going to give me some purpose. So there has to be optimism in mental toughness and there has to be hope in the discipline that we're currently um, going with through our days, you know, in taking the measures, wearing masks, staying away from our loved ones, from our friends, in adhering to the measures and being um, in solidarity with our society. There has to be hope in that discipline that it's going to get better. And then in the end, we're all going to come out of this better and, of course, out of this privileged situation that I haven't lost anyone to COVID and I have the privilege and the chance to do something with this. Oh my God, Mari, these jewels you're dropping, Adidas runners, joy, discipline, optimism, and hope that everything is going to get better. Mari, like this is an amazing conversation um, and I can talk to you forever, but before we let you go, can you leave us with one parting piece of advice? that you'd like to share with our listeners and how we can find out more about you? 
So one piece of advice I think would be trust that you have everything inside of you to explore your potential and trust if you currently have the feeling that things are not going how you want them to go, that there's a reason for that and you have everything inside of yourself to change that. I'm on social media, Marie Rent. that's M-A-R-I-R-E-N-N-T. That's German for Mary Runs. Mari, I just want to say thank you. Thank you. Thank you for coming on the show. I really had a great conversation with you. Thank you, Martinez. I loved the joy and the energy you brought to the conversation. Thank you so much for that. Thank you for tuning in today's episode of the Ultra Boost. If you want to inject even more energy in your life, sign up and join the Active Minute Power Energy Challenge live on the Adidas Running app today from February 1st to February 13th. And don't worry if you're listening to the series after the challenge is over. Feel free to download the Adidas Running app anyway, as there are always new and interesting challenges to take part in. I'm Martinez Evans at 300 pounds and running on Instagram, and I'll talk to you later. Peace.